Well, would you look at that? The Answerbacks bit back in game two and blew out the Texas Rangers to tie up the World Series. You are locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You're listening to who? Always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com. I've been covering the D-backs since 2020, doing this podcast, and now the D-backs have tied up the World Series. I can't believe it because on this podcast, I'm just going to be breaking down and giving my instant reaction to Game 2. This is not going to be a normal Locked on Dimebacks podcast since it's the weekend, Halloween weekend. I'm trying to go out, have a little fun, but just want to give you my quick and initial thoughts. So we'll just do a quick mini pod for today to discuss that game two victory for the Arizona Diamondbacks because I had a lot of confidence in the D-backs heading into this game two against the Texas Rangers because really, if you think about this series of what we've seen so far, this D-backs team probably should be up to nothing. It's easier said than done, but for most of game one, the D-backs were in control of that game. Until basically the final two outs of the ninth inning, you could say the D-backs were dominant for, what, 80% of game one. It really felt like the D-backs should have get should have won game one and kind of, you could say, crapped the bed a little bit, choked it down, had a little bit of a meltdown in that ninth inning. Paul Seawald, a guy coming over from the AL West, Texas Rangers have seen him a bunch. Yeah, he blew a save in the ninth inning. But that's nothing new. The D-backs have, I think, blown three saves in the World Series in their franchise history. So just another reason why you should feel more confident maybe in the D-backs because this is something that they've done in the World Series, right? We talked about that tweet yesterday. A bunch of things that happened in 2001 are happening again in 2023. And one of the things we didn't talk about is the D-backs blowing saves in the World Series on yesterday's podcast. But in game number two, you didn't need anyone to save the game because the offense showed up in a big way, put nine runs on the board, got 16 hits to only two strikeouts. But more importantly than that, the real story of game number two, I believe, was Merrill Kelly. Kelly was fantastic against the Texas Rangers. We mentioned how he only had one start against the Rangers in his career back in 2020. Looked good in that one start, but really couldn't take anything from it. A lot of these Rangers players didn't really have a sample size against Kelly, and if they did, it was like four at-bats, if that. So you really couldn't take too much away from the Rangers versus Kelly matchup because there really wasn't a sample size to look into, and Kelly was absolutely dominant coming off that game six uh start against the Phillies he was really good in that start eight strikeouts five innings right did enough to put the D-backs in position but he took it to another level in game two against the Rangers seven in seven innings three hits one earned run nine strikeouts did have one mistake we gave up a home run but Kelly just did a fantastic job of not being afraid of any Rangers batter and just attacked these Rangers hit it, Rangers hitters constantly throughout this game. 
When you look at the first pitch strikes, 17 of the 24 batters Merrill Kelly faced, first pitch strike. Kelly was attacking these guys early in counts. That's how he was able to generate so many strikeouts. And Kelly really went with the full arsenal tonight. Changeup was his most used pitch, but also had the cutter, the four-seamer, the sinker, slider, curveball. Like, Kelly had the whole arsenal tonight. Every pitch, the velocity was up for Kelly. His off-speed pitches looked nasty. The changeup was nasty as always. The exit velocity on his pitches, overall, pretty low, 86.6 miles per hour. Like, Kelly was just straight-up dominant. I thought he did a great job of staying away from from these Texas Rangers hitters, keeping the ball low and then elevating with that cutter fastball when you needed to. Merrill Kelly didn't allow one run scoring opportunity. No one got to second base against Merrill Kelly. I think more importantly, Merrill Kelly is only the 10th pitcher in World Series history with at least nine stri- with at least nine strikeouts without walking a batter. The reason that's so important because in game one, the D-backs, I think, allowed the Texas Rangers to draw 10 walks. Double-digit double digit walks in the World Series is just way too many. And so for the D-backs to come back in Game 2 and really shut that down, the Texas Rangers had one walk tonight compared to 10 strikeouts. Meanwhile, the D-backs offense had four walks to two strikeouts. So just a complete flip of the script in that department. Zach Allen struggled heavily in Game... Well, I wouldn't say he struggled heavily, but... He wasn't great in game one. Merrill Kelly, on the other hand, had not just one of the best starts in D-backs franchise history, one of the better starts in World Series history, and that's what you need on this stage. You need people, players, to bring a certain level of that dog in them. What do you want to say? The intangibles with them. Whatever you want to say, you want to... When the moment gets bigger, you want your players to step up to the plate and deliver in those big spots. Gallon has struggled in those moments this season, or excuse me, at least this postseason. Meanwhile, Merrill Kelly has stepped up in some of the biggest moments this postseason for the D-backs when they've really needed wins, when their back has been against the wall, they've been down in series. Merrill Kelly has been able to step up in a big way, and he did that against the Texas Rangers in Game 2. Attacked repeatedly, didn't walk guys, and struck everyone out because if you remember that second time through the lineup when they were hitting the home run against Kelly it felt like this Texas Rangers bat it felt like the Texas Rangers batters were starting to figure out Kelly a little bit that second time through and all of a sudden the third time through the lineup Kelly was like nah I'm just gonna start striking out the side left and right so Kelly I thought was absolutely phenomenal in game two and he deserves the game ball but on the other side Jordan Montgomery of the Texas Rangers, the D-backs offense, I thought, did a really good job of of at least making him work. I thought they left some opportunities on the board, like four earned runs off nine hits is good, but I thought they could have even done more work. It took Jordan Montgomery like 42 pitches before he was even able to generate a swing and a miss on this D-backs team. Like, they were locked in from the jump. That's how the D-backs were able to generate 16 hits. And if you just go up and down the lineup, like Keto Marte, he got a hit, two RBIs. He broke it open late in the game. And, of course, Keto Marte with him breaking it open also now owns the longest postseason hitting streak in MLB history. He now owns the longest postseason hitting streak to start your career and the longest streak ever. I think he, uh, I think he was tied with Manny Ramirez. Now 18-game postseason hitting streak for Keta Marte. And his slash line 
after this game. 333, 354, 556. Ketel Marte continues to be an absolute stud for the D-backs. Corbin Carroll, two hits, two RBIs. Looked really good in this game. Um, Corbin Carroll came through late. One thing that I don't like, though, why is he not being sent when he gets on base? There was a situation where it was two outs, two strikes, and Geraldo Perdomo was sent to get... He was sent, and Perdomo got the steal. Corbin Carroll had, like, two more situations like that, and he was never sent. I could have turned five into 50 bucks if we just sent Corbin Carroll one time. I don't know why we don't. Even outside of my betting, you know, my personal betting of what I want to happen, Corbin Carroll, in general, if he gets on first base with two outs, he should be sent to steal second base. So I do want to see that. But I like to see Corbin. I do like the fact that Corbin Carroll is swinging the bat better once again. Gabriel Moreno had a full slash line. He had a hit. He had a run. He had an RBI. He had a home run. He had a walk. He had a strikeout. Moreno, whenever he's putting in work, like the days Moreno's getting a run, an RBI, I feel like the D-backs' chances of winning increased by like 33%. So love to see Moreno in that home run. Christian Walker did get a hit in this one. Still don't love the way Christian Walker looks at the plate. Really would love for him to be moved down in the lineup. Tommy Pham. Fam went foe for foe in this game. Did have a little blunder on the base pass. You cannot do that if you're Tommy Fam. Get picked off at second base, but he made up. He more than made up for it with all the extra base hits and just clean hitting he had at the plate today. <clears throat> Excuse me, Lords Guriel. Nice once again, two for three. He had the most success off Jordan Montgomery of any D-backs position player. Faced him more than any other guy in the lineup and. It paid off. Two hits for Lord Zagoriel. Really good in the lineup for the D-backs. Alec Thomas, a guy that we begged to play in game two because of Tori Lovello. He loves playing, you know, as many righties as he can against a lefty. He loves the platoon matchups. And Alec Thomas being a lefty versus Jordan Montgomery also being a lefty, I was very nervous that Tori Lovello was going to sit him because that's what Lovello usually does. And with Thomas being on fire, I was like, we have to put him in the lineup Toy Lovello listened, and it paid off in a big way. Two hits for Alec Thomas, one run scored. And it does make you think that if Tommy Pham wasn't thrown out second base because the very next inning, Alec Thomas led off with a double, what would have happened? Would Alec Thomas have broken the game open earlier? I don't know, but love to see Alec Thomas and him swing the bat like this. Like, Alec Thomas is currently the best slugger on the D-backs this postseason, which is insane to think about. Evan Longoria woke up he's alive he had a hit he had a big RBI in this one and even when he was pinch hit I mean Paven Smith was pinch hit first and then the pitching chains and then Emmanuel Rivera came in even Rivera was one for one with two RBIs and a run scored third base production really good in game two and of course at the bottom of the lineup one of the most consistent players that the D-backs have right now because Jerry Perdomo has a five-game hitting streak in the postseason. He's been so good for the D-backs at the bottom of the lineup. Love how the D-backs played in game two, went up and down the lineup. Everyone put in work. Everyone looked really good at the plate, able to get to Jordan Montgomery, looked good against the bullpen as well. And then, of course, Merrill Kelly absolutely shut down. I was confident heading into game two that the D-backs had a great chance of bouncing back. That's exactly that's exactly what the D-backs were able to do. But now coming back to Arizona, it's not going to be easy against the Texas Rangers. 
The Rangers are undefeated on the road this postseason. Their offensive numbers are absolutely insane. But with how the D-backs have been playing as well this postseason and how they handled the Phillies when they came into town, I'm feeling pretty confident with how the D-backs look right now in the World Series.